Hey everyone, my name is Nick Kearns. Um, I serve with City Youth, one of the leaders. Um, yeah, that's Justin Hill. He's another leader too. We, um, City Youth, you know, it's a group for ages 6th grade through 12th grade. And um, not this Wednesday, but the next will be our first time in the new building. We're getting our own space, so we're so excited. Um, I just want to say, you know, if you have uh, students in that age range, we'd love to have them. Um, you know, it's we have a really good, passionate group of leaders who really want to serve our youth and see them grow. So we'd love to have them. All right, let's go to the text. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon Peter and his brother Andrew casting a net to the lake, for they were fishermen. Come. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And John 21, 15 through 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger and dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. They said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Nick. Man, you guys, the last ever service at the Tulsa Ballet. We've had 675 of these here over the last 13 years, Sundays. Uh, this is the last time, and it's kind of a surreal moment. Um, like, as you guys are listening to this message, if you hear noise in the background, it's because they are literally loading up the U-Haul behind me, because we are moving out. Come on now. Like, we don't, like, come back later in the week. We, we get one chance to move out, so they're moving out. Everything gets moved over to the new facility today. Super exciting time. I'm going to apologize in advance. I am struggling through a cold, but nobody else was going to preach the last service here at the ballet, <laughs> so you have to deal with it. As I have my drink and as I sniffle through this, um, it'll be a good time. We're going to finish our series, Scandalous Grace, today. If you've been with us, we've been talking about, man, just the relentless love and grace of God that's freely and undeservedly given. And then the response to this grace by many people around Jesus was they considered it scandalous because it wasn't based off performance, it wasn't based on uh, behavior, it was freely given. And that's what makes it scandalous. We just read this passage as Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Andrew and Peter, fishermen, and he says, hey, come follow me. Come follow me. Come imitate me. Come walk with me. And let's just be really honest for a second. Andrew and Peter had no idea what they were getting themselves into. Like if Jesus had laid it all out for them, they would have probably said no. But instead, he just says, come and follow me. Learn from me. And it was, must have been something for, for guys like Andrew and Peter. This was, this was an honor because they were already at the age where they had been passed over by, for many things. Like they were past their prime. Uh, this famous rabbi now comes and is in, interested in them. And so that's a, that's a big deal when you've already kind of been passed over. I don't know anybody ever, 
everybody else ever gets this, but when I'm watching sports nowadays, they'll be talking about a kid who's like 25, 26, and they're like, oh, he's already past his prime. I'm like, what? 26 years old, you're not past your prime? Like, I'm the same age as LeBron James, and so I was like old guys this week as he got the NBA scoring title, and I was like, the old guys still got it. Like, I could still come back and compete, even though I know I can't. But if you're Andrew and Peter, you've already passed your prime, and yet Jesus comes to you out of everybody else and says, hey, I want you to be my disciples. I want you to follow me. That's a big honor. I'm sure they were overwhelmed by this possibility See, it's not just scandalous who Jesus invites in close to him, and we've talked about this. It's who Jesus even asked to be his disciples is scandalous. Let me give you a few examples real quick. James and John, who were the sons of Zebedee, they were later named the the sons of thunder. You guys remember them in the scripture? Why were they named the sons of thunder? Because they had a short fuse. Like These are hot-tempered individuals who you don't want to mess with. We kind of always, with biblical stories, we kind of soften up the edges, but you really look at the people that Jesus surrounded yourself with, and they were the most unlikely. In fact, they come to a town of Samaria that kind of rejects the disciples and Jesus, and James and John turn, the sons of thunder, to Jesus and said, can we call down fire and just wipe them out? Jesus says, no, we're not going to do that. (laughs) We're just going to keep going. You had Simon the Zealot was one of the disciples. You know what a zealot is? It's a violent revolutionary, like feisty brawler who would wear a dagger at his side and they would try to rid the country of their political adversaries by any means possible. Like these, are the, these zealots were like, well, they just kind of went missing. We don't know where they went, type person. And Jesus invites them to be a disciple. You have Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, and we in our context will never be able to fully understand how much tax collectors were hated. They were Jews who worked for the Romans, taking advantage of Jews taking more than they needed to, and they were just absolutely hated. In fact, most religious Jews thought tax collectors were beyond redemption and repentance. Like, you've just gone too far. There's no coming back for you. And this is who Jesus picks. Scandalous to say the least, isn't it? How many of the longer the disciples journey with Jesus, the greater the calling of discipleship comes? That's what, that's what Jesus does. Jesus invites us to come and follow him, and that's through faith and by his grace. But as we journey with Jesus, Jesus will always turn to us and call us to deeper levels of discipleship because of his love for us. So we don't stay, as you can see, they're moving out in the back. So we don't stay in our sin, but we continue to move into closer places of freedom and life. Jesus would say things like, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus would say things like, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. He will look at his disciples and say, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. How many know a lot of the disciples in John 6, when Jesus said that, they walked away. They're like, it's too great. As we walk with Jesus, this call of discipleship grows. The call to surrender your life, the, the, the call to lay down your life. I've been able to preach through this series some of my favorite passages, and this morning is one of my favorite stories. I've been able to preach the prodigal son, the story of Hosea. We looked at the woman of the well. This morning is the life of Peter, and if you've been around City Church, I've preached a lot from Peter because we get so much of his life, and Peter's life is an absolute roller coaster. It's an absolute roller coaster. 
Nothing describes this more than Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus is with Peter, and, and, and Peter makes this exclamation that you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. Jesus looks at Peter and says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter. Only my Father in heaven. Your name is going to be Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How many know that's a good day when Jesus turns to you and says that? And like four verses later, Jesus predicts his death. Peter says, never. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God. How many know that's a bad day? <laughs> that is Peter, though. Peter's, I'm going to walk on water through faith, and then I begin to drown because I doubt. Peter's the guy who pulls the sword out whenever they come to arrest Jesus because Peter's going to fight back, and, and, and Jesus is probably like, three years if you learned nothing from me. <laughs> This is not a violent revolution that we're doing. This is it's a different way. Peter is just that guy. Peter is a ready, fire, aim kind of person. Anybody know that kind of person? You grow up with friends who were do first, think later people. I'm sure that wasn't you. Anybody else grow up with friends like that? It's so funny because that's the opposite of me. I'm not a do first, think later. I am an overanalyze and then maybe do it. But I grew up with friends who were do first, think later, which was really frustrating. Uh, I remember my sophomore year of high school, it snowed like 20 inches in Oklahoma, which never happens. And so we got out of school like all week. And, and I just remember my, one of my closest friends, his dad had like an outdoor store with several like Polaris forerunners, and he actually had a snowmobile. I don't know why in Oklahoma he had a snowmobile, but he did. And I remember driving down Main Street, Moore, Oklahoma, skiing behind this like four-wheeler and the snowmobile and all the things all week because nobody else could get out of their house, but we had a snowmobile for randomly. And I'll never forget one day, my buddy, there was a pond behind their kind of house and kind of some acreage, and he, he gets in the four-wheeler, and I'm on the four-wheeler behind him, and he's like, man, I'm going to make it all the way across that pond on this four-wheeler. And I'm like, this is Oklahoma. That ice is not very thick. It, it, it freezes for like three or four days here, and then it thaws, and you know, like, if, if there's ever ice in Oklahoma, don't walk on it. It's a pretty good rule of thumb. But I can't talk him out of this. He's already in his mind. If I go fast enough, I'm just going to fly over it. Now, I know this pond is like three or four feet deep, so I know if he goes under, he can stand up. But I'm already looking around saying, like, what am I going to fish him out with? Because that's how I'm wired. And he starts to go, and he flies across this pond, and he gets about halfway across when his back tire breaks the ice, and then the other back tire breaks the ice, and I'm just watching this idiot fall down <laughs> and ruin a $5,000 four-wheeler of his dad's. And I'm thinking to myself, you're going to be grounded the rest of our high school. Like, I'll never see you again, but you deserve it because you're a moron, right? <laughs> right? I personally think that's what the other disciples thought of Peter right? Peter, just stay in the boat. There's no need. You don't need to walk on water. You don't need to get out. Don't be special. You're not special. Sit down, right? Think it through. But Peter was that guy, wasn't he? Bold, rash. We get this passage at the end of Jesus' life, and this is what I want to focus in on in Luke chapter 22, and it's a bizarre passage that you have to wrestle with. Luke chapter 22, verse 31 says, Peter, Satan has, this is Jesus talking, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. This is bizarre. First of all, it seems like Jesus and Satan are having a conversation. And Satan asked to sift Peter. 
Now, Satan's sifting or winnowing of Peter is to move him to unbelief. But Jesus has a different purpose for the sifting or the winnowing. You know what sifting is or winnowing? It's where they remove the the wheat from the chaff. It's how you separated the two. Let me just tell you this. In our bless me American culture where comfort is our God, we want to reject anything that resembles suffering or sacrifice. But in a broken world that we live, how many know brokenness will come your way? But God uses the brokenness to shape us. In fact, there are some times that it's only the brokenness that really can shape us. And this is difficult for us to understand. I'm sure this is difficult for Peter, that the sifting is necessary in Peter's life. The sifting is actually a form of grace. The sifting is not abandonment. The sifting is preparing Peter for the plan and the call that God had on his life. Let me also say this. There are many times the sifting will be painful, It will be something you wish you didn't have to face. It will seem unfair. And in the sifting and the winnowing, you will be tempted to doubt, to move to resentment or unbelief, just like Satan wanted Peter. Peter, you're going to be sifted. Know Jesus. Wherever you go, I will never deny you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I would lay down my life for you. Right? Right? Luke chapter 22, the story continues. Peter is in the courtroom as Jesus is being questioned by the high priest. He's just been arrested. And a servant girl turns to Peter and looks at Peter and says, you were with him. You were with him. Remember moments ago or maybe days or hours, we don't know. Peter just said, Jesus, wherever you go, I will go. And a servant girl turns to Peter and says, you are one of his followers. And he says, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. It wasn't me. See, in this moment, it is not faith and boldness that are default in Peter's life. It is protection and security. It is if I confess to be with Jesus, I'm going to end up where Jesus is. And so again, he says, woman, I don't know him. And then he says, I'm not with him. I don't know what you're talking about. And as Peter is speaking, the rooster crows. And Jesus' prediction is true, that you're going to deny me three times. In fact, one gospel writer's picture of this is that Peter actually looks and makes eye contact with Jesus. Can you imagine that moment for a minute? Jesus, wherever you go, I'll go. I'm with you. And then the smallest testing comes up, and you fail. Three years of following Jesus, and you fail horribly. You abandon Jesus in the moment where he's being tested, where he's on trial. And it says that Peter ran outside the city and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. This is a deep, soul-crushing, things will never be the same, I went too far, I blew it, there's no coming back kind of weeping. I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind. I call it an undoing, where it seems to be the end. You don't see any way forward. There's no way back from this. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you've ever thought your failure has taken you beyond God's ability to use you, then you can identify with Peter in this moment. It's excruciating. It it seems like things are unraveling. But like I said earlier, the most significant moments of growth and discipleship in our lives are often surrounded by brokenness and sifting. Brokenness 
and pain, not only does it reveal our idols, but it often takes us places where otherwise we wouldn't go on our own ability. Are you with me? It opens our hearts to receive. I wish there were other ways. I wish that when life was going up and to the right, we looked around and were like, God, change me however you want. But that's usually not the case, is it? It's in the sifting where God moves us and positions our hearts to be able to receive the change that he wants to bring because now we've been torn down and broken down and now we're, we're in a place to receive. And, 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 and otherwise, sometimes when, when life's going up and to the right, how many know you're, you're kind of patting yourself on the back a lot of times? I wish it was another way. You remember Jacob in the Old Testament? Jacob was an interesting character, highs and lows. Deceives his brother from a birthright, highs and lows. But we get this story in Genesis 32 where Jacob wrestles with this angelic or godlike person. We don't know exactly who it was. Wrestles with him throughout the night. Jacob won't let him go. He says, no, you're going to bless me. And the man touches Jacob's, the, the, his hip socket and it goes out. The man blesses Jacob. And it says that Jacob lived from that moment on with a limp. Can I tell you something that has significantly changed in me over the years? I used to seek out great leaders. The, church, the, the pastors who were leading the biggest churches, the people who had wrote the leadership books, the, the three seekers to unlocking your perfect life now. I was that person. I, I ate up the leadership books. You know who I seek out now? People who walk with a limp. People who walk with a limp. People who had every right to become bitter or walk away or move to unbelief, but guess what? They didn't. That now they have an intimacy with God on the other side of their brokenness that's only found through pain and difficulty. That's who I want to be with. Two weeks ago, my friend Blaine was up here on stage. There are plenty of people when he had probably the greatest moral failure in the history of pastors that wrote him off and says, you should never do anything again. And yet he's led almost one million men now through sexual addiction and recovery. How many know God resurrects things? You know why he's one of my closest friends? Because he's been to hell and back. And he loves Jesus more today than ever before. He's so passionate about his relationship with God. And he walks with a limp. And I love it. I love when people walk with a limp. Where they could have been bitter. They could have walked away. They, it could have moved to resentment, but it didn't. They allowed God to transform it. That it now becomes a story and a testimony of God's grace, that God carried you through the season, right? That God's grace was sufficient. Do you want to relive the season? Never. But God's grace was sufficient to carry you. And now there's a perspective and a beauty that you have of who Jesus is that can never be taken from you. Amen? So it's sifting, winnowing. It's what God does. See, Peter's denial of Jesus isn't the end of their relationship or Peter's calling. It's only the beginning. Peter thought it was the end, but it wasn't. You know why it's only the beginning? Because Peter's commitment and relationship to Jesus is not sustained by Peter or his performance. It is sustained by grace and Jesus' commitment to him. Amen? That's what makes it amazing. That when you and I fail and sometimes beyond what we think is redemptive, that God is still moving and God is forming and shaping and there is something that is happening in our undoing that God is going to use for our future calling. How many of you that's hard to see in the undoing? It's difficult. 
John chapter 21. And this is the picture of Jesus I want to paint for you this morning. This is one of my favorite pictures of God. I get to preach my favorite stories in, the, in this whole series, so here you go. The Gospel of John was written much later than the other Gospels. Uh, it could have been 50, 60, 70 years later. It was almost like John let them write their perspective, and he's like, let me, let me give you a different take on the story. Uh, John's Gospel, honestly, is just no other way to put it, makes Peter out to be an idiot. Every story where Peter fails, John puts it in his story. In fact, if you're Peter, you're ticked off at John. You could have said something nice to me about me, but you didn't. And every time I screwed up, you were there to document it. So it's only appropriate that at the end of John's gospel, he has a moment to reinstate Peter. Because if Peter's going to be the rock on who which God builds his church in the book of Acts, people only want to follow him if there's a re restoration, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to continue to follow an idiot. We want our idiot to improve. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure this out or a biblical scholar that when, Jesus, when Peter denies Jesus, they were around a campfire and three times that, that Jesus denied, or excuse me, Peter denied Jesus. What Jesus does in John chapter 21 is he takes Peter aside around a campfire and he asks him the same question three times. Nick read this just a second ago. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? We actually don't know what these exactly are. Could it have been that Peter went back to fishing? Was it more than the disciples? Do you love me more than these things, this future, this job? Peter replies, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. For the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says that Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt. Why? Because Jesus kind of kept pressing on the wound. Now think in your head how much shame and guilt that Peter's been living with since that moment. We don't know if it was hours or days. But Peter had been living with a, I should have been there for you, and I wasn't. I ruined it. I missed my chance. Right? I blew it in the moment that you needed me. Peter was hurt. Was Jesus trying to hurt Peter further by pressing on his wound? No. Was Jesus trying to expose his hurt in order to bring healing and redemption? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Peter, you did deny me. But that's not the end of your story. And you're sifting, sifting and winnowing. What I prayed for you, Peter, is that it wouldn't move you to unbelief, but it would actually be a catalyst for your, your calling and the growth in your life. If you're taking notes and following along, Peter's undoing would become the catalyst for his future calling and ministry. The sifting in Peter revealed the unsurrendered parts. You remember that earlier? When Peter says, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Oh, really? Because then moments later, you denied me. And in John chapter 21, for the second time in Peter's life, Jesus looks at him and says these words, follow me. How many think that the second time Jesus said, follow me, was a little different than the first time? Jesus looked at Peter and said, follow me. How many of you are like me, are very gracious 
or, or thankful for God's patience and grace upon our lives. Then when it takes us longer than it should to figure out, God is gracious to us, isn't he? He's gracious to us. Because years earlier on the Sea of Galilee, when Peter said, yeah, I'll follow you, he had no idea what he was doing. But Jesus said, come and imitate me and follow me. And then years later, after Peter's undoing, Jesus would look at Peter once again and say, okay, Peter, follow me. What, what was the difference? What's the difference? For I, I think the difference is the first time Peter's like, yeah, I'll follow you, but I have no expectations and I'm not really even sure what that means. The second time G Peter says yes, he's like, I know exactly what this means. I'm going to give you everything. And let me tell you, the next time Peter would have to choose between comfort and giving his life, he would choose to give his life. Jesus would look at Peter. Your journey has been full of miracles and setbacks, incredible moments and disappointments, successes and failures and all of these things. But there will become a time even in your life where right now you go where you want to go, you do what you want to do, but someone will put your hands in cuffs, will lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus was predicting the death that Peter was going to die. Peter, you're going to experience transformation. You're going to see the birth of the church. You're going to see miracles and healings and people come to know Jesus. You're also ultimately going to give your life for this gospel. Peter, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. What I love about this is the same Peter who doubts and almost drowns. The same Peter who is rebuked by Jesus. same Peter who cuts off the high priest's ear. The same Peter who denies Jesus publicly three times. Jesus says, Peter, you're still my rock. You're going to lead the church. And you want to talk about transformation? Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Peter, it's like superhuman. You're like, what's the difference? The difference is the Holy Spirit. God takes all of Peter's failures, his brokenness and undoing, and God looks at him and says, you know what I have? I have an empty person who's fully surrendered. And can I tell you that's what God wants more than anything? I think so often we're looking for the best life. We want the comfortable life. We want the American dream. We want everything up and to the right. We think that's what we want or what we need. And Jesus says, you really want to experience life to the fullest? Empty yourself. Empty yourself. Empty yourself of everything but me. Come walk with me. Use the little time that you have left for significant kingdom impact and great will be your award, right? That's what I love about Peter, is Peter was a screw-up who went on to help birth the church and see people come to know Jesus. And I don't know about you, but if it wasn't for God's scandalous grace, I wouldn't be up here, amen? How many are thankful for God's scandalous grace in your life? I am. I get to stand in front of people and preach your gospel. 
man, I'm so unworthy to do that. And yet I know that you use people who are unworthy. I'm grateful for that. If you would stand to your feet across this room. We're going to take communion here in just a minute together. If you would, just close your eyes, bow your head right where you're at. One of our prayers for this series is that God would just give a revelation of his grace. A revelation of his goodness. A father that gets caught up in the moment and starts sprinting down the road toward his son, his prodigal that's come home. That's you and me. And a God who goes in the back alley behind the bar area searching for his wife who's committed adultery over and over again, Gomer. That's us. The woman at the well who's had five husbands is lost and searching and Jesus comes and sets with her. His scandalous grace. Father, we just thank you so much for grace. God, we just stand in awe of it. God, we don't deserve it. And we can't earn it. There's nothing we can do. And yet you give it to us. God, I pray for some people in this room today. As they, as they stand right here, there's this thought in their head that God is disappointed in me. I can't, I can't just walk back home. God, I pray that you would reveal your grace this morning to somebody who is living in a lie, who is living the lie that God is disappointed, that his love doesn't, and grace doesn't extend to you. God, would you tear down the lies? Reveal your love and grace this morning. God, let us live out of that overflow, God, that we are not deserving and yet you love us. We thank you for that. We thank you for that, Jesus. Scripture tells us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered around the table. I want you to think about this. Jesus broke bread with those who were about to betray him and deny him and run scared for their lives he loved him anyway. Amen. And he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. I'm going to be ripped apart so that you can be put back together and made whole. Let's take the body of Christ together. And Jesus took the cup. The shed blood poured out for you and I. One day you and I will stand before the creator of the universe. And if we are in Christ, he will not see our sin. He will see the blood. Let's take together. Will you tell him right there where you're at how grateful you are? Just thank you. Let thankfulness and gratitude flow out of your heart. Practice it. Father, thank you. Thank you for your relentless pursuit of us. Thank you, Father.
excited. This is the last week we're doing to go communion. Come on now. Next week, back to the real thing, like we did for years, um, getting out of our seats and taking time to stop and, um, and pray as we take communion. It's going to be an exciting time. We're excited for it. I'm going to, before we end this morning, I'm going to invite the Nelson family and the Moss family to come join me real quick on stage. This good-looking crew right here. Come on now. When we started City Church, not one of these people existed. <laughs> Lindsay was pregnant with Jackson, two months pregnant when we launched City Church, January 31st, 2010. We have had 675 Sunday morning services in this place. I think I tallied, I, I've preached over 500 messages on this stage, and this is an end of an era for us. And it's exciting. And I'm notoriously bad at stopping and smelling the roses, so that's what I'm trying to do right now for the last two minutes, right? Before we just move on and jump to the next place, we're grateful for this. We're grateful for this place. There's a lot of life change in this room. A lot of seeds of the gospel, church plants, and people sent out, disciples made. And uh, we're grateful for each and every one of them. We're grateful for the Moss family who've journeyed with us every step of the way. And uh, we wouldn't be here today without them. And uh, we're grateful for that, amen? I, I truly believe the best is yet to come. And what God has built here uh, is going to carry over and grow. If you would have told me January 31st, 2010, that we would be 13 years in this facility, I'd tell you you're crazy. I just never believed that. And we had numerous opportunities to move. We, had to, we could go somewhere permanent. We really felt like this was a strategic place where God calls to be where we can do significant kingdom work from here, plant churches, reach people. And now we're taking that next step. And uh, you who have gone on this journey with us, thank you for your sacrifices. But now it's, help, it's helping us uh, where the vision God is taking us next to help reach our city and to reach more people for Jesus. Uh, I do also want to invite, before I pray, uh, if any of our staff are in the room, come on up here, join us. Spouses, any of our elders in the room, any of our trustees in the room please join us. A lot of them were in first service. A lot of them are moving stuff right now in the back. Come on now. You think it's really glamorous bringing an elder. It just means you're the first to serve <laughs> when pastor needs something. So, thankful for all the people up here. It's not like that. That made this possible. So many of you that made sacrifices in this room. I want to pray together. Um, the passage that came to mind for me was the book of Exodus where Moses is about to lead the people of God and he's up on the mountain and he, he, he tells God, he says, if your presence doesn't go before us or with us, don't send us up from here because it's not about buildings or places or land. It's about your presence. And I truly feel that way. God, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. But God, we may be moving a half mile down the street, but we pray, God, that your presence would dwell there, would be a refuge. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, God, we thank you. We bless this space. We thank you for it. God, we thank you for the staff, the leadership, the ballet for 13 years that have allowed us to meet this and make this our sanctuary. We thank you for every person who have walked these doors, thousands of people who have said yes to Jesus, yes to following you. God, that seeds of the kingdom have been sown all over the world from this place. We are so thankful for it. We are so thankful, God, that you have provided this for us. And this next significant step of faith, we just ask that you would go before us. You would lead us, that your presence would lead us, Father. 
God, as we move, just move right down the street, God, that your presence would fill that place even now. The people in the neighborhoods and the streets, people who drive by, they will be drawn to the presence, the love, and the power of God. In a world, God, that is, needs you, they need life, God, would we be a lighthouse, a lamp, in a dark place, God. We thank you. We thank you for this space. We honor you today, Jesus. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for celebrating this last Sunday with us. Amen. Amen. So, just a reminder, if you pull right out on Peoria, drive down the road, cross the interstate, turn right before, right at uh, Brahms right there, it's our new place. All right? Nobody will be here tomorrow or next week. Be blessed. We love you. Let's stand with our mission statement. Go live it out. Wherever you are, be the gospel. Get your uh, 